Okay, we're in this series called Learning to Love. And we've been looking at this issue of the family uh, more than just marriage. And so uh, if you'll remember a couple of weeks back, I told you that, that in my study that I had way more information than, than I could give you. And so for the next few weeks, I'm going to give you uh, what I couldn't preach to you a while back because I, I really think it'd be beneficial to us. And so today we're looking at this issue of marriage. The topic of this sermon is God's design for marriage. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, or if you want to go on version and and search for the notes there. You can do that as well. And so normally I've had you turn because we've been walking through Ephesians. Uh, but Paul in Ephesians makes this reference to back to Genesis chapter 2. And Paul in Ephesians makes this statement and says, Therefore a man will leave his, father, his, 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 his mother and father, hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so we started asking the question, what does one flesh mean? What does that look like? So I'm going to have you turn to the, the first marriage, the first relationship in the Bible. And today we're going to look at God's design for marriage. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to start, verse 24. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And then if you guys would not mind starting my clock in the back, that would be great so that we don't run into the 1230 service because I will do that. There you go. Thank you. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Here's what the scripture says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become... And so we're becoming one flesh. We're learning to love. And so they will become one flesh. And the man and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so anyway, in this issue, this is before the fall. There's a before shame. There's before blame. There is before any of that. And so we want to look at God's design for marriage. And a lot of times our society and a lot of times our culture makes it a government issue, makes it a state issue. Uh, and it's really not a government issue. It's really not a state issue. It's a biblical issue. And marriage is sacred. And so God's design for marriage is this issue of the sacredness of marriage. And so I just want to give you three principles as morning as we understand God's design for marriage, how we can apply it to our life, how we can apply it to our relationships. So the first thing is this that we got to understand. We got to understand the framework of marriage. In the original uh, marriage with Adam and Eve, we have to understand the framework of marriage. And we're just going to walk through Genesis chapter 2 together. God created Adam and God created Eve. And God created marriage. It was God's idea. God's the one that came up. God's the one that instituted marriage. And it was his idea. And so he created Adam. Adam and Eve, but he created Adam and Eve to be in relationship to one another. In other words, this, this is true, that, that lifelong love is not only possible, but it's, it's, it's God's plan. And it's God's plan from the beginning to give, to give you the love or the relationships that you need and then to teach you how to love others. I mean, there's something about the framework of marriage. There's something about marriage that is kind of like God's insurance policy so that we won't live a self-centered life. Marriage is like this litmus test. The way that I treat my wife, the way that you treat your spouse is really in a direct relationship. It's a litmus test to your relationship to him. Now, let me tell you something. Regardless of what stage of life you're in, if you're here this morning and you're single, I, I have a word for you this morning out of the text. Um, this, this sermon is for you. Because statistics show the overwhelming majority of the singles in this room one day will be married. And a lot of you are looking towards that day now. And a lot of you will be married. But, but maybe, maybe this is your, regardless if it's your first marriage, your second marriage, your third marriage, or maybe even your fourth marriage. I don't want you to have any guilt or shame. 
And I would tell you the same thing that the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians, that whatever stage of life you're in, just be a success there. Don't live life looking back in the rearview mirror, but look at life forward looking with, with faith and with trust of Him. And so I want you to understand the framework of marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Here's what the scripture says. The Lord God took a man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And so, so in the framework of marriage, there's purpose in marriage. There's responsibility in marriage. I mean, it's just so interesting to me that before God gave Adam Eve, he gave him a job. Yeah, there's kind of nervous laughter, right? Ladies, if you meet a guy and he's still living in his mom and dad's basement with no job, he is not marriage material at that point. And you notice with Adam, Adam first had a job. Adam could take care of himself. Adam grew up. And so in marriage, in the framework of marriage, there's responsibility. In the framework of marriage, there's purpose. See, it's in marriage that we live out that responsibility. It's in marriage that we live out that, 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 that purpose that God has given us, the assignment, the career, the profession that God has given us. See, it's in the framework of marriage that we realize that, guess what, it's just not all about me. It's in the framework of marriage that we realize we live out that assignment, we live out that purpose, and we provide for other people other than ourselves. And so verse 15, again, he says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So Adam, like, has a job. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. And so all of a sudden you realize another boundary in marriage, or the fact is that's one of them, that all of a sudden that you live in boundaries of marriage. Marriage helps you and I to understand that, guess what, there's boundaries. The moment you say, I do, the moment you, you, you live together, the moment you get married and live together, you realize, guess what, there's boundaries, right? I mean, there, there, there's some things that are hers, and there's some things that are yours or his. And there's some things that are ours. I mean, right? I mean, when you get married, you realize, guess what? There's boundaries. I mean, when, when Karen and I first got married, I mean, well, our, our first couple of years of marriage, it just set us up for some great, just emotional conversations about this subject, about what is hers and what is mine. I mean... <laughs> I mean, when, when we got married, I learned that all the decorations in my apartment that I thought were so cool was like, was like only useful for the garage. I mean, the Jones Road sign that I put in the living room that I probably wasn't supposed to have anyway. That's just something. Anyway, we don't even go there. Right? I mean, we learn. It's in marriage. We learn. I mean, I learned about pillow shams and comforters. And I, didn't even, I still don't really know what a pillow sham is. I just know I'm not supposed to lay on it. And so, uh, <laughs> isn't that right? I mean, you start, you learn. I mean, and you know what? You learn there's boundaries in marriage. And there's, there's some of the things that are his. And there's some things that are hers. And, and, and like, basically, you know, his is like the garage. Because it's the smallest, dirtiest place of the house. That's like his. And, and, so, and so you learn that there's boundaries. I mean, here a while back, I mean, this is a couple of years ago. Uh, Karen was out running errands on a Saturday. And so I, was, I needed to put some poison on the yard. And so I couldn't find, a, you know, I, I needed a measuring spoon. 
Yeah, and so I run into the house, and I probably got the most expensive measuring spoon that we had. I didn't care, because I, after I put poison in it and, and killed the yard of, of, of all these insects and everything, I was just going to wash it and put it back, because it didn't matter to me. I mean, I figured it's good to go. And so I'm in the garage. I'm mixing poison. Karen pulls up, and, and, so, and so real, I mean, she just looks over at me, and she was real sweet. She wasn't mad or angry. She just asked her question. She says, is that one of my measuring spoons? Man, I don't know what it is about us, but when our wives ask us a question like that, don't we turn into like a seventh grader? <laughs> is that one of my measuring spoons? And I go, I don't know, maybe. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I needed to mix some poison to kill some bugs in the yard and wanted the grass green for my wife, and, and I didn't know what to do, and I went out, and I, I, and I was going to wash it, and I was going to put it back, and she says, it's yours now. I don't, I mean, I don't want it back. I don't understand that. And so it's in marriage that guess what? You learn there's boundaries. You learn what is his and you learn what is hers. You also learn that there's some emotional boundaries. And every couple should have those conversations. And every couple should talk about that. Who can you friend on Facebook? Who can you not friend on Facebook? Who can you text? Who can you not text? Who can you go to lunch with? Who can you not go to lunch with? And so you realize that there's boundaries in marriage. And you learn those boundaries. It's a part of marriage. And you learn to respect each other's boundaries. And when you learn to respect each other's boundaries, then all of a sudden there comes great joy. And so he goes on in verse 17 out of Genesis chapter 2. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you may not surely eat. For in that, in that, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so all of a sudden you realize in the framework of marriage that there's not only boundaries, but there's consequences. There's consequences for your words. There's consequences for your actions. And a lot of times it's immediate, right? It's a lot of times in that context of marriage that you realize for the first time how, how immediate the consequences can be. How much you can hurt someone or you can hurt an individual that you love deeply by a word or by an action. In Genesis chapter 3, you see the fall and all of that other stuff. And the scripture says that when they ate of the tree, they, they, they began to die that day. They didn't die physically. They died emotionally. Sin, sin entered into the world. Sin entered into the marriage. See, it's in, it's in the marriage, it's in the framework of marriage that God helps us to understand that, guess what, there's, there's consequences to decisions, there's consequences to actions. See, marriage is that place that we understand that in a realistic way. Marriage is that place that we understand that, guess what, our decisions, our actions, affects whether it's children, whether it's our partner, our spouse, it affects people. Marriage is a place that that's lived out on the greatest scale. Verse 18, as we, we're just keep reading through this and pulling out these principles. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone, so I'll make a helper suitable or a helper fit for him. See, it's in the framework of marriage that you enjoy companionship. I mean, biblically, there's two purposes of marriage. There's procreation and there's companionship. And so God looks at Adam and God says it's not good for Adam to be alone. In other words, one of the, you, you realize one of the first things God said that was not, not good was loneliness. And God saw Adam's need. God saw Adam's need before Adam saw his need. If you're single here this morning, and maybe right now you're single and you don't want to be, and you've been looking for someone. I, I, I just want you to know, God knows your need.
He knows your pain even before you know your pain. He knows what you need even before you know what you need. He knows what you need better than you know what you need. I mean, the same is true for Adam. And God knew that it was not good for Adam to be alone. And so God created someone for Adam. Even though Adam had no, no conception of that, that God created a partner for him. I'm telling you, if you're single here this morning, it's critical that you understand what it means to wait. In, in the next verse, after God said it's not good for man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him, it's interesting when you see this process, and God gives him a job, verse, verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord, had, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and, and brought them to the man to see what, what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living, living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds and of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not, a, not found a helper fit for him. So it's interesting to me when you just see this process. God gives Adam a job. God gives Adam a, a, a career. God gives Adam a profession. And so his job was, Adam, name the animals. I wonder how long that took. And the scripture doesn't say. Have you ever thought about that? How long did it take for Adam to like name all the animals? Eagle. That's an eagle. That's a sparrow. That's a rhinoceros. <laughs> That's a giraffe. And then you can almost see when you start looking at the animals' names. I mean, you can see when Adam probably got got tired. Tired on the job. He's pretty fed up with it. Blackbird. Bluebird. That will be called a redbird. <laughs> so, so God was teaching Adam that guess what? A job just isn't enough. The job is important, and that's part, part of your purpose, but that's not all there is. He was also trying to get Adam ready to take care of someone else, to understand that, listen, man, it's a process. I mean, listen, let me tell you something. I just make this statement. Until you learn, singles, until you learn to be happy being alone, you will never be happy married. That's why a lot of people go from one relationship after another relationship after another, and most of them are destructive because they're trying to find someone to make me happy. I'm not happy. I can't be happy alone, so I have to find someone else. And so my happiness, listen, it's just, it's just, it's just so out of balance. My happiness depends on someone else making me happy. In other words, that relationship is all about me. That relationship is self-centered. That relationship is about me and my happiness. And I'm just telling you, you will never be happy until you can get happy being alone. That's what God's doing with Adam. He gives him a job. He takes him through a process. God, God knew what Adam needed. God knew Adam needs a partner. I'm telling you, this is part of my testimony. This is part of my life. There's a period in my life that... That uh, there's a period in my life that I was dating. Um, 
I was making poor choices in dating. Put it like that. And I got to the point, and I'm like, you know what, God? You can't even trust me to date. And I heard this principle being preached. And the reason that I was making such poor choices is that I could not be happy alone. And I heard this principle taught. And I made a commitment to God. And I said, God, I'm going to figure out how to be happy alone. I'm going to understand what it means to be loved by you. To understand that I'm totally and completely forgiven in you. That I'm perfect and complete in you. That I'm deeply loved in you. And so I started having every Saturday night, I, I called it family night. And even though I was single, but guess what? If you're single, you're still a family. You're in the family of God. And I didn't go out on Saturday night at all. And so, God, I'm, I'm going to figure out how to be happy alone. And I'm going to trust you to bring someone into my life. It was right before God brought Karen into my life. We've been married over 30 years. And, uh, and I, I figured that out. Uh, John Dingler's uh, attends our church. He's a counselor in town. And, uh, and we were talking uh, a couple of weeks back after a sermon. And, and so we're talking, and he says, well, you know, really and truly, marriage is not addition, it's multiplication. It's not one plus one plus one. One plus, yeah, equals two. It's one times one equals one. One whole person times one whole person equals a whole relationship. And the same is true. It's multiplication. A half a person times a half a person equals a quarter of a relationship. In other words, it can be destructive. I'm just telling you singles. You have to come to the place to where you're just happy being alone, and that was Adam. See, there's something about something about marriage that protects you. It's like God's insurance policy. So that you won't live a self-centered life. And marriage makes you think of someone else other than yourself. Marriage makes you understand boundaries and makes you understand that, that what you do, there's consequences, and what you do affects someone else. Marriage is that place to where you worry more about the other's interests than your own interests. Marriage is that place to where we understand that what we do separately affects the other. In other words, what was Eve's problem is Adam's problem. What was Adam's problem is Eve's problem. The same is true in, in marriage. Marriage keeps you and marriage keeps me from, from living a self-centered life or only thinking of myself. Here while back, Karen, Karen's a home health care nurse, and, and so she's driving a lot of miles, and, I mean, the gas bill was just ridiculous. And so, uh, so we got an electric car, a pure electric car. And so, I mean, it's really a cool car. Uh, many people ask, what's the range? The range is about 85 miles, uh, but we never, never needs gas. And so our gas bills dropped dramatically. I mean, it's been a huge deal for us. And, and so I teased Karen. I said, yeah, I got you this electric car. In case you ever decide to leave me, you won't get far. <laughs> yeah, about 80 miles from the house. I'll find you with an extension cord. And so, uh, so we, we, we get this electric car. And so we go to life group with it. Now, now I thought men, women different. I thought what was so cool about the car is how fast it would go. I mean, the pickup speed, unbelievable. And so, but it has economy mode. Karen, I like when you take it out economy mode because it's like her car. And so, so we go to life group. And so my buddies wanted to see the car. And so I decided to take Andy for a car, for a car ride. And so we're going and Karen's like, don't take it out of economy mode. I know. I said, don't worry, don't worry. Well, I get in the car and 
And I want to show Andy how fast the car would go. And so Andy, so, so we're flying through his neighborhood. And so all of a sudden, Bill's coming to Life Group. And he passes us. He comes in. And so I take Andy for a ride. We come back into Life Group. And so we're coming back in. Bill looks at us. Unfortunately, Karen heard. Bill goes, Charlie, how fast does that car go? <laughs> and Karen says, you, you, you took my car out of economy mode, didn't you? She was real nice about it. And then I went into seventh grade mode. I said, you know, you know. <laughs> I just wanted to show my friend the car, and then Andy wanted to see how fast it would go, and I was going to show him, and Bill's exaggerating. Bill's trying to get me in trouble. I wasn't going 70. I really wasn't. And, so, and, then, and then you go, and so marriage is that place that you understand boundaries, right? Here's the second thing. There's the pursuit of marriage. Now listen, I mean, in other words, marriage is something that you pursue for life. Marriage is something you never quit pursuing. So I'm going to have you do something, have you do an exercise. If you're sitting next to your spouse, I want you to turn to your spouse, and I want you to say, I will always work on our relationship. Turn to your spouse, say that. I will always work on my relationship. We're going to have to go into counseling mode. This, I mean, what is up with you guys? This took a lot longer than there's all these conversations going. I see, I see elbows going, yeah, you're only saying that because the pastor told you to. <laughs> Don't do that. This is church. I mean, Saturday night after Saturday night service in the foyer, uh, I'm greeting people. This, the lady comes out and she says, thank you, pastor. My husband, I hope he heard that. He needs that sermon so bad. I'm like, God bless you, you know. And so she walks off. A few minutes later, here comes her husband. He walks up to me. Thanks, Pastor. My wife really needs that. <laughs> I hope she was listening. Now, now, here's what marriage teaches us. Marriage teaches us men and women are different. See, women think they understand us. You guys don't understand us. We're not as deep as you think we are. You're trying to read some stuff into what we say. We're not that deep. It's not that deep. And women always want to talk about that, that men are different. Listen, we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to have those, those conversations are confusing to us. And then men think they understand women. And you know what? We don't. You guys are complicated. And the, the Bible tells us that God created male and female. He created male and female in his image. Male characteristics and female characteristics. And so we're different. We're just, we're different. You know what? It's like we have different operating systems. I mean, for instance, I started out with a droid, and, uh, and then I got saved, and I got an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I've offended so many droid people. You guys know it's just like a new iPhone. You're just trying to be like an iPhone, and so anyway. Uh, <laughs> what is it up about? I, I don't understand Apple. I know we're getting off. I've got a few minutes. So I... <laughs> You know, used to, remember, it was all about being small. It was all about, you know, the, the iPod or the iTouch. It's all about being small. And now they come out with, now it's all about being big, right? Now it's the iPhone 6. Oh, look at my iPhone 6. doesn't fit in any of my pockets, but I love it. <laughs> you know, I don't understand Apple. But anyway, back on this. So men and women are different. And when I had a droid, the way I communicated with the droid was different, or a lot of frustration, but it was different than the way in which I communicate with an, with an Apple product, an iPhone. And then if you, if you don't have the same platform trying to get them to communicate to each other, that takes work because it's two different operating systems. And people all the time want to have a conversation, which is better. They're just different. The same is true in marriage. It's like we have two different operating systems. But I'm telling you, in marriage, if you do not know who you are, 
If you do not know that you have been deeply loved, you are deeply loved by Him. That you're worthy of love, you're worthy of connection. You're totally and completely forgiven. If you don't know who you are in marriage, if you're looking for someone else to give you something that only God can give you, you'll be frustrated. If you don't know who you are, if you don't have a healthy self-love, if you don't have a healthy self-honor, self-respect, all of those other things, then it's going to be difficult for you to love someone else. Many times when people have difficulty relating to others, it's because they have difficulty relating to themselves. And it's just so interesting to me when you start looking at the process that Adam goes through. So remember, back, Adam has a job, and Adam's job is to name the animals. And then he says in, in verse 23, the man said this at last. Did I read that? No. Okay, let's start at 21 because that iPhone thing just got me off. Verse 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up the, its place with flesh. And the rib that, he, that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is Adam. Remember, his job, name the animals. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. He didn't even give her a name. Do you realize Eve's first name, she didn't get a name, he called her woman? But it's logical, right? I'm going to call her woman. Because she came out of man. Notice the perspective. He's trying to relate to her. He's trying to understand her based upon the understanding he has for himself. I mean, he looks at Eve and says, she shall be called woman. I mean, that's logical. It's unemotional. I mean, seriously, woman? Way to go, Adam. (laughs) You know what he's doing? I'm telling you. You know what he's doing? He's trying to relate to his wife the same way that he relates to a profession and a career. He's relating to his wife out of his work. He's relating to his wife out of his work life. Listen, and it's been just a hard lesson for me to learn. You do not relate to a spouse like you relate to the people down at your career or your office. Your wife is not one of your subordinates. It's not a client. It's not a patient. She's not a student. You know, uh, none of that stuff. Your husband, you don't relate to them like you relate to them in a career. And so, and so men, you don't relate to your wives the same way that you would like your sports buddies or your golf buddies or, or your job site buddies. I mean, you try to tr- trash talk your wife, it's going to hurt her feelings. I know that. I mean, she's not going to appreciate that. And so all of a sudden you have, you have Adam, he says, I'll call her woman because it's, it's like just another day at the office. I mean, I had to learn this, that my wife is not one of my parishioners. My kids are not one of my parishioners. There was so long in our marriage that we'd have conflict, we'd have a problem. And I'm telling you real quickly, I can say, well, well here's three things. I can give you three things to do. I can give you, you know, three points, a prayer. I'll even take up an offering. does not matter to me in the home. And so... But I'm telling you, my wife never felt loved. See, this is Adam's problem. It's in marriage you learn that relationships are important. It wasn't until the next chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, then the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Knowing someone's a process. 
You may think you know your spouse, but it's going to take years for you to know your spouse. I'm still learning Karen. Karen's still learning me. We're still discovering new things about each other. We're still learning new things. Why? Because there's different seasons of life. There's different stages of life. There's different challenges of life. I mean, I remember when we dated and we thought, you know, like all couples do, oh, it's so sweet. We know, we know everything there is to know about each other. And then we get married. And then I learned her view of Christmas is totally different than my view of Christmas. We got married in November. Christmas came a few weeks later. We had major conflict. I mean, that's in marriage when you, when you, when you, you start learning that there are differences. And it's, it's taken us decades to learn each other. And we're still learning each other. And you know, the, the crazy thing is just not, it's just not static. I mean, about the time you get to learn them or you get to know them, they change. And guess what? You're changing too because you're in a different stage of life. You're in a different place in life. You're in a different season of life. You're different emotionally and physically and relationally. And remember, you've married a human. You've married a person. And this issue of making this commitment that I will always work on our relationship because marriage takes work. Marriage takes effort. The third and the last principle is this. There's the fulfillment of marriage. And so, so the Bible tells us that, that, Adam, that, 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 that God created Adam and Eve. And the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve had sex. And God said, God said it was good. And, um, it, and you know, I know this is a point that, because there's been a period of church life and church history that you just didn't mention sex in church. And so there's some people that get kind of nervous just talking about that. My wife is one of them. And uh, just talking about that kind of stuff in church. But it's just something that we just need to talk about. To see the fulfillment of marriage, the boundaries of marriage is this, is that sex is an important aspect of marriage. Uh, sex is important to the marriage relationship. Sex is an expression of great emotional intimacy. Uh, Paul said in Corinthians, he said several things about an active sex life. He said an active sex life is good in marriage. It protects you in marriage. It, it helps you to be not selfish. You don't deprive each other of that. And it protects you from temptation out of the home. And so Paul talks about that in, in Corinthians, that sexual expression is only in the, the, the framework, is only in the, the, the design of marriage. And so God's plan for sexual expression would only happen in the confines or the boundaries of marriage. And so we just got to understand this. Sex is just not, sex is just not physical or spiritual. I mean, sex is a complicated subject. Uh, there's things that can hurt the sex life. Unresolved issues. Unresolved issues of the past. Stress. Not enough rest. An unhealthy balance in life. An unhealthy lifestyle. Body image. Health issues. Stages of life can affect the sex life. And it's important for you and I to understand that. And if we need to get a doctor involved, if we need to get a professional involved, then it's important that we do that. Depression. Depression can, can, can harm a sex life because if someone's depressed, the last thing they want to do is to be vulnerable and intimate with someone. And then we know the differences between men and women when it comes to this aspect of sex. I mean, it's been said that, that men are kind of like a microwave. I mean, you just push a button in like 15 seconds, they're ready. And, uh, and women are more like a crock pot. I mean, it... It takes all day. <laughs> I mean, it starts in the morning. 
And it, it, it's about the language and the words we use and love pats and encouragement and all of that other stuff. That's why we don't do anything to make our partner feel isolated, shame, blamed, or abandoned, or unappreciated. I mean, you look at how Adam treated Eve in the garden. He blamed her. He isolated her. He shamed her. It's a miracle they ever had sex after that. <laughs> and, and we know they worked through it because we're living proof of that. I mean, it's obvious that they worked through it. See, great relationships begin with great communication. And if you're having trouble in your relationship, you're having trouble in marriage, and you're having trouble working through that, then you may need to get a third party involved. You may need to get a professional involved. You may need to go to a professional Christian counselor. I believe in that. There are a lot of people, when I recommend that, they'll push back and say, Pastor, do you not know how expensive that is? Insurance doesn't cover it. And you don't. Let me ask you, how much is your happiness worth? How much is your happiness worth? You're either going to have to work these relationships without, with, with each other or in the next relationship. If you're going to stay married, if you're going to commit that we're going to grow together, if you're going to commit that we're going to work on the relationship, then you have got to get this. You've got to understand this, that we'll grow spiritually. We will grow spiritually together. That's why life groups are so important. That's why biblical community is so important, that we'll grow spiritually together. Genesis 3, 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband. He didn't say a word, right? He's passive, who was with her, and he ate. When Eve was tempted, Adam was right there. Men, your greatest challenge because of the fall is to be passive in the relationship. Let, let my wife deal with that. Let her deal with the kids. Let her deal with that situation. I mean, my job is at the office. My job is making money. I'm telling you, because of the fall, your greatest challenge is going to be passive. Listen, let me tell you something. That will destroy a relationship. I mean, you, you find in Genesis chapter 4, you can read it for yourself with Cain and Abel. Uh, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel were having conflict, which, in, which, which ended up with Abel losing his life. You don't even see Adam and Eve mentioned in the scriptures. You don't even see Adam and Eve trying to help them through that process, trying to get involved with that process. You don't see any of that. When Eve was tempted with, by the serpent, Adam was there. And you don't see Adam getting involved and says, you know what? God said, don't eat. And if God said don't eat, we're not going to eat. And I'm going to protect you. You don't even see that. Listen, if you're going to grow spiritually, then you need to have a focus. It's just so powerful in Adam and Eve's marriage and so powerful in their life that if you're going to grow spiritually, if you're going to move ahead, then you cannot live life in the rear view mirror, but you've got to look through the, through the windshield. In other words, you can't have a backward look. You've got to have a forward look together. It's obvious that they work through their issues. It's obvious they develop their relationship. I mean, even after Abel lost his life, and that's a horrible thing for our parents to go through, they move forward without any blame, without any shame. And regardless of where you are, regardless of who you are, the key to marriage is commitment. Just commitment. And we understand there's going to be some difficulty. We understand there's going to be some challenges. But I just want you to know I'm committed to you. I just want you to know that I will work this out. 
And I'm committed to you and I'm committed to this marriage. Genesis 4.26 To Seth, also a son was born and called his name Enosh. So important. Last sentence. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Where did they learn that? From Adam and Eve. They passed their faith along. They passed their faith along to their kids. There's nothing more powerful in life than when you walk together committed to one another for life. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? More importantly, how does, how does God want you to respond? How does God want you to respond to, to, to this message and to his word? For some of you, it may be the very first time that, that you, you accept him. Instead of a next step, it may be your first step. To ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. Maybe this morning you're single. And maybe you desire, you desire to be married. You desire for God to bring that person into your life. Maybe your next step is this. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to learn how to be happy being alone. I'm going to understand that I am loved by him. That I'm deeply loved by him. I am perfect and complete. And I'm totally and completely forgiven. And allow God to bring that person into your life when you're, when you're ready. Maybe this morning you're married and maybe for you it's just a recommitment. Maybe it's, we're, we're going we're gonna to figure this out. We're going to figure this out together. Because I'm committed to working on this relationship. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I, I just need prayer. I'm just carrying a burden. Maybe it's a medical issue, a financial issue, a relational issue. Maybe trying to discern the future. Maybe, maybe it's a burden for someone else. You want to pray for them. Maybe you're carrying a burden and it doesn't have anything to do with what I've been talking about this morning. Just a burden that God's laid on your heart. We want to lift that burden. We want to pray for you. So just in a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. If you need prayer in any area of your life, if you're carrying a burden, we want to, we want to minister to you. And we want to pray for you. And we want to encourage you. So we're just going to invite you that in just a few minutes after I pray that we stand. If you need prayer in any area. As you stand up, you step out, begin making your way down to the front. We'll, we'll greet you down here. We'll give you instructions. But we would love to have the opportunity to minister to you this morning. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you to, for your love and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the power of your name and the power of your word. And so, Father, we just ask that you'd pull this church very closely to, to you. And that people would just respond to you. And that find comfort, that find encouragement, that find support as we minister to each other. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.